Welcome to On The Go, an on-road transportation podcast with Clean Cities. In this episode, we are talking about incorporating community engagement to help ensure transportation projects have equitable outcomes. To kick us off, let's introduce our hosts. I'm Molly Putzig. And I'm Joanna Allerhand. Today, we will be joined by two guests with expertise in establishing meaningful community engagement practices. They'll be discussing why community engagement is important, best practices, and tips for starting the conversation with your local community. Here to tell you more are Patty Romero-Lankow and Nicole Rosner from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Patty and Nicole are social scientists who have led community engagement activities within the U.S., Mexico, and many urban locations internationally. All right. Welcome, Nicole and Patty. Thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon. We'll go ahead and get started. If you could tell us, what does community engagement mean? Uh, Well, I I really would like to compare it with community outreach. When you engage in community outreach, you reach out to your stakeholders, your community, and tell them what you are doing. For me, Community engagement is more than that. It's really an effort to make sure that you listen, you understand where the community is, and you go from there to develop the tool set that is needed to address uh, mobility and other sustainability issues. Uh, Nicole, what do you think? Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think just expanding on what you're saying, I think engagement in a lot of ways is it's a shared process that you're building with community members. Um, And so unlike outreach, which often is kind of um, a one-way stream, engagement is a a two-way stream, or at least that's how I see it. Um, and, And you're building it together collectively. And that goes along with, with the longevity, the point that, um, you know, longevity is really important in community engagement in a lot of different um, projects, depending on the project, but the idea is that you're building this relationship over time. And so um, engagement isn't just a one-off, it's actually a, a longer process. I, 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 just, I just want to add to that. It's, it's a longer term process, meaning you don't go to the community at the beginning and at the end of a project, you engage with them throughout the project. And if the the conversation, the collaboration goes well, you go beyond the project. Why is it important to include community engagement in project planning? What are some of the benefits? Uh, Some of the benefits are uh, developing a project that really um, meets the needs and aspirations of the communities you're, you're trying to implement that project in, and also making sure that the, whether it's a technology um, or or kind of a larger, for example, larger energy transition that involves a lot of different technology changes, um, you need to build the trust uh, with local community members and build the relationship to understand their needs and their capacities to be able to really uh, develop technologies that meet those needs uh, and and that are able to be used with, with local capacities or develop capacities locally so that they can be able to use those technologies. Uh, and trust is important because if if you don't build that trust, um, they won't be used. And they there's there's the kind of danger of building something uh, that that doesn't really address those 
local issues because it's not being used, not because the technology itself doesn't work. Exactly, and, and, and that means that you need to see communities as your partners in the, in the process. They have a lot of knowledge, they understand the realities, they understand their constraints, and if you work with them based on what they, what they dream of, what their aspirations are, uh, you are better able to address challenges and barriers together with them and to create not only technologies, but also tools and capabilities that really are attuned to the reality of these communities. If you do so, then you get their buy-in and they will be more able to deal with the trade-offs that are always involved in the in any transition. They will be more willing to, to address those in conversations, in dialogues, and also in debates that can be not easy, but are needed for everyone to say, okay, I give up, I'll give up A to get B. Uh, by so doing, again, you get buy-in and you are more effective at solving the problems the technology, the tool is intended to address. And thinking specifically about transportation, how can engaging the community improve a transportation project? Well, there are many ways to do it. Uh, for me, an important uh, uh, requirement is for us to really start with a good understanding of the mobility needs, which are context specific and also population specific, um, meaning some sectors of uh, some users will need a, a, a last mile options that uh, are affordable. Others won't care about that. They will care more about a because they have pre-existing medical conditions, they will care more about having mobility options that really respond to those needs. Again, if you start with a good understanding together with these communities, using uh, elicitation techniques, if you start from that uh, point, you are more able to develop transportation options that can, first of, for sure, uh, reduce emissions, but also uh, provide uh, options that are attuned to the realities of the communities you are working with. Yeah, and expanding on Patty's point, I think, you know, by working with communities, you're really able to identify existing inequities um, that will need to be, tar you know, we need to target those types of inequities in order to improve the transportation system as a whole. And so identifying them with community members uh, is the best way to do that kind of work. Um, and that, of course, goes along with it, uh, with these projects being kind of specific to local communities. Different communities have different needs. You mentioned first and last mile. What are some other types of transportation projects that can really benefit from community engagement? The one that comes to my mind is uh, are, uh, relates to transportation projects that allow people to walk, allow people to use the street. Many of our infrastructures are car oriented, and me and uh, in my research, I have found that 
in some cities, a quarter of the users walk, bike to their office, to their school. If they don't have options to use bikes, if they don't have options to walk, they will have their, their ability to move from one place to the other and to increase their health and well-being, they will have that possibility constraint. Yeah, I agree. And also having multimodal options that are public. So being able to bike to um, a train or a light rail or a subway and and then bring your bike on that on that train and be able to take that to wherever you're going. So first and last mile, but also that um, adaptability of the system to different users needs or people's needs. Right. An example that also comes to my mind is that it's related to gender issues. Many women are responsible for their children, for taking them to school and going to the office. If they don't have the option to carry all what you need to carry when you have little children, they will have their mobility options constrained and the ability to to earn money, to have a stable job will be also constrained. So again, there are intersecting factors such as gender, pre-existing conditions, race, also where you live, geography plays a role, and rural communities come to my mind. All these factors intersect. And so therefore, when working with communities, you need to understand together with them how these factors intersect in their, in their place in order to develop these multimodal options uh, Nicole was referring to. Yeah, and, and also adding on to that, um, reminding me of, you know, depending on where you live, uh, you might have to pay for a new ticket if you're moving on to a different mode of transportation, if it's public transportation. And so providing options for um, low-income public transportation users where they, you know, only pay for one ticket and are able to use multiple modes on that ticket um, is really important because a lot of those, uh, a lot of those um, transportation users are, especially if they're low income, they might be commuting really long distances, have to take multiple modes, and you don't want them to be overburdened, um, given the the increased burden of distance that they already have as a as a everyday challenge. Great, thanks. So I think that gives us a really good grounding of what community engagement is, when, um, why it's important to include it, looking at what types of projects and how it can make those better. Now I'd love to dive into the some of the recommended strategies and best practices for community engagement. So when in the project development process should you begin community engagement? I would say that before starting the process, uh, Nicole and I, for instance, have been working with the city of Los Angeles. And from the outset, what we did was to map key stakeholders with these women, uh, community-based organizations, grassroots organizations that are working with communities, because we are aware of the fact that those are the ones that connect their community with their researcher. So you need to map your key stakeholders, key communities. You use mapping uh, tools. I mean, a simple Excel is enough, uh, whereby you have key organizations you start with, and then you snowball, right? Asking the members of these organizations to connect you with others. Another uh, tool I have used uh, before is just really a, a 
uh, 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 re do you review literature? Do you do, uh, define key uh, types of users? And again, you start to work with key stakeholders, key grassroots to 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 map those users you need to work with. Once you have that, you can really start working on defining problems, defining needs, defining priorities, defining dreams, because the dream, dreaming is a key tool to understanding what barriers prevent you from being there and what strategies can allow you to address those barriers and go where you want to go. What do you think, Nicole? Yeah, I, I totally agree with with what you're saying, Patty. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think you know, I mean, both Patty and I've learned a lot from uh, the project we've been engaging in in LA. And I, I think part of it is, you know, how you define the project in the beginning. If you're not working with um, local stakeholders, and and particularly if it's an equity project with the disadvantaged communities that need to be, you know need to be centered but also a part of the process from the beginning you're going to have to be nimble and adaptable with the project and if they're there in the beginning if they help you form um, what this project is it's going to really shape uh, how you move forward in terms of in terms of what the what the targeted goals are but also in terms of how you're building um, a feedback loop process throughout the project, um, and and you can start that from the beginning rather than building it in the first few months, which kind of uh, takes you know takes time. And so, if it's a project that has both community engagement and kind of technology um, a technology development and deployment aspects to it, you have to think about how long all of that's going to take, and whether or not including community members in the beginning and the formation of the project itself is actually going to maybe save you some time later on. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you really need to like it's just imagine uh, that you were working on a gender project and you were not including women in the project, right? And the same is with trans users of transportation. So Nicole really nailed it down to another, another set of key issues to consider. Uh, which means that you need to work with stakeholders and community uh, or organizations and also cultural brokers from the outside, outside and throughout the project. Great. So definitely including community engagement in initial project planning. You talked about getting started through stakeholder mapping and getting those stakeholders to the table, involving a lot of community engagement experts, like you were saying, cultural brokers, community-based organizations, or CBOs. How do you go about identifying the people and organizations to include in this process and make sure that you're being inclusive when you do that? Well, I, I will include here a, a, a jargon word. I will try to be as simple as I can. We use, in my experience, I use a snowball strategic approach whereby I really start with uh, either using, uh, browsing the website, uh, contacting key uh, local leaders, people I know, and going from there with my analytical map, right, where I say I need to have women, people of color, uh, old and, uh, and young people, uh, 
I need to have key sectors, right, represented. I have that mapping. I also need to have uh, decision makers, uh, uh, CBOs. And with that uh, analytical map, I start contacting people and asking them who else I need to connect with that works uh, with women uh, and with these other sectors. And I snowball, right? My ball gets bigger and bigger. And in that way, I, I, I increase the pool of, of, uh, of uh, representatives of the sectors I map, but I also revise my mapping. So that's what I do. And that's, uh, Nicole, you, you tell me what you think, but that's what you and I did with our, um, with this last example that always, uh, we always bring to, to, to bear on this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I think adding to that, I think um, it's going to depend a little bit on the project. So in the project, Patty and I've been, talking about it's an equity um, equity strategies project. And so what was really important to us is, um, you know, understanding who historically has had decision-making power in, in the areas that we're focusing on in like the energy system in LA, and then who historically hasn't had that decision-making power, but has been deeply affected by, um, and negatively affected by the existing energy system um, and, and, and the past. So, um, and so that's going to help you kind of identify who the stakeholders are, but also who needs to have more of a say um, if this is an equity study, or even if it's not an equity study, I think, <laughs> I think people who have been historically excluded need to have more of a say. Um, and so that's going to help you kind of weight the engagement uh, differently to make sure that certain stakeholders have um, have more of a voice uh, in in the work that you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you are super right, Nicole. It's you need based on the question or the goal of your project, you need to decide who do I need to include? Who should I include that has not been included, particularly in transportation? It's experts who decide what is what the user needs. And I think we need to change the conversation. I also know that our group has done that already by asking who is the user of our technology? Who is the or who are the multiple users of these tools, this tool set? And based on that, we, we, we map them and we need to make sure uh, to include those that who, historically have been excluded in that way we will be made the project more more meaningful okay i think i'm getting a good picture of how to figure out who to involve in the process so how do you work with those individuals in the community and organizations that you've identified to identify what the target issues or priorities are for them I think there there are lots of different ways of yes. <laughs> doing that. Um, I mean, part of it is, for example, um, in the project we're working on in LA, we worked with local community-based organizations. So these would be, um, you know, experts in some of them in policy, a lot of them in you know, community energy efforts. Um, and we worked with them to develop focus groups that we've been calling listening sessions to to then engage with community members and get a sense of what their needs and priorities and aspirations are related to the energy transition in LA. So part of it is finding kind of your, finding your, um, 
your local partners in crime <laughs> and your local your local partners that have already a network uh, with the communities that you're trying to work with. And then um, through that relationship, co-designing engagement efforts. So in this case, it was uh, focus groups um, that will allow you to have um, a bit more build a relationship with local community members and their understandings of their lived experiences related to your your kind of targeted issues. Um, so it really kind of branches out in that way. But it's important that you're co-designing those um, engagement efforts because that builds a relationship both with the, the local community experts and um, cultural brokers, as Patty was saying, but also um, it builds trust with the local community members that are going to engage in those um, focus groups because they trust those organizations. And so if they trust those organizations and those organizations invited them to your focus group, uh, that's a space that they're going to feel more comfortable engaging in. Right. I, I would like to add to what Nicole said, uh, that you also need to consider a couple of uh, ask yourself a couple of other questions one is is this issue a contested issue uh, is there some level of polarization around the issue and i'm saying that because in, in my work in latin america there were many issues that were contested so if you have a situation where authorities uh, officials are not so interested in addressing the concerns of disadvantaged communities, then you need to develop a diff slightly different strategy, try to map not only who is affected, who is included, who is excluded by the technology, the innovation, the tool you are working with, uh, or the project you want to support, but also uh, what are the, the framings of the issue uh, are they different? Do you need to have different conversations with diverse groups to understand the set of uh, opinions of, per of perspectives around the issue? Uh, and in that case, you need to also be able to uh, represent those differences and uh, those disputes. Um, and in that case, uh, I don't know what your experience is, Nicole, you are really confronted with a more challenging effort whereby bringing those different stakeholders to the table uh, will be a harder endeavor. And you will need to really either just keep different conversations and, uh, and just explore whether you better don't bring them to the table uh, because if you are not careful with bringing them to the table, you can uh, get in, in, you know, in situations that are difficult and that can create more uh, differences. I don't know your experience, Nicole, but um, I, I also I also think we need to discuss that, particularly because in the U.S. there are there is polarization around many sustainability and energy issues. Yeah, I mean, I think in different meetings I've been in with you, Patty, we've experienced. Um, some tension related to differences in opinion or ways that different people um, engage in discussions. Some people engage um, a bit more aggressively than others. And I think it's really important to obviously respect everyone's opinion and listen, but also uh, for, for people who are working in community engagement to really structure and, and scaffold the conversation and make sure um, that respect and that listening is going on throughout um, and that no one feels unwelcome 
or unable to share, um, but that what they're sharing is um, is in inclusive and respectful. Sort of following on to that, when you are working with these organizations, how do you build those relationships to make sure that you're getting all of that input and working with them the way that you want to and they want to without overburdening them? Uh, that's a great question, right, Nicole? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you, in my humble experience, you need to be really nimble and realize that the stakeholders, the communities you are working with are as experienced and as knowledgeable as you are. And, and just really starting from that perspective, you really engage in in two-way road, right, conversations, in dialogues that allow uh, people to feel their voices are heard, their perspectives are taken care of, even if they are not, if you don't agree with the, their perspectives, you need to, as, as, particularly as a social scientist, right, you need to be careful to, to listen to them and, and uh, and I think that take a, takes a lot of uh, learning also for uh, researchers, for engineers, for scientists. Um, would you agree, Nicole, that that also yeah. needs to be part of the of the learning? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think in in a way we need a bit of a paradigm or cultural shift in terms of really valuing. Um, different types of stakeholders as as experts in their various fields. And some of that is just is community knowledge um, and lived experience and also compensating uh, those stakeholders for their time and expertise is really important. Um, and along with what Patty was saying, um, viewing them as as really true partners in this endeavor and not just um, not just kind of someone to consult with but someone to build with um, and not an extractive process, but uh, um, a co-creation or a co-development or co-design, a partnership, if you will. That's great, thank you. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, you, you learn a lot about a project working in a specific area on a specific project. How can you adapt these strategies and lessons learned we've been talking about from a project in a different location to your local context? Yeah, so uh, I think there's a lot that can be adapted and, and a lot that's really context specific. Um, so for example, the, the types of tools that you're gonna use for engagement is something that can definitely be adapted if you're gonna use, um, for example, focus groups or a survey or, um, a community mapping process, those types of engagement efforts and activities can definitely be adapted um, to different to different communities and, and different projects. But some aspects of the projects are gonna be really context specific. So particular needs and barriers, um, sometimes there, you know, you could talk about low-income communities and say there's, you know, bill, paying your electricity bill is across the board very difficult. Um, but there are aspects to that that are going to be really specific to local communities. Um, and there are other issues, for example, maybe um, there's a particular environmental pollution that's in a local community that is um, associated with the water company. 
whether or not it actually has an association with the water company. That's what local community members believe. Uh, and you need to discover that. You need to understand why they might have mistrust of a local water company um, and how that affects your project. Uh, so those the are kind of aspects to it that are adaptable and other aspects. And, and I think what's useful is the research process to, to engaging with those communities and understanding their concerns um, and, and their lived experiences. That process is definitely adaptable. Um, but each local community is different and, re and uh, respecting that difference is really important and it's going to be what makes or breaks a project, I think. Uh, building on what uh, Nicole says, I always use the expression, there is no one size fits all, but there is a one size fits some. I mean, we know besides uh, knowing that there are methods, techniques that you can use in different contexts, if and only if you understand how to adapt them to that context, uh, you there are some uh, processes that you could say play out in different contexts. For instance, class uh, differences in class, race, uh, which, for instance, in the U.S., uh, uh, plays out in a way that is different from what I saw in in India, right? Where castes uh, are a key construct that defines who is untouchable, meaning who is excluded and criminalized and who is not. And in the US, a race and ethnicity define who is discriminated against, who is included. So again, you have these ingredients, so to speak, but you need to understand how they play out differently in diverse contexts. And what is the spe specificity of each? Because if we don't, if we just think that having an indicator of race, we understand uh, how it plays uh, to define inequity. If you do the latter, you will make big mistakes. So uh, you therefore need to, 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 to tailor your techniques uh, in ways that are culturally uh, sensitive to the practices and expectations of the groups you are working with in order to understand how processes that play out in different places uh, manifest specifically in each city or in each, with each community you are working with. So we've talked about a lot of really useful considerations, I think giving people a lot of context for what community engagement means and how to think about the this community engagement in terms of the projects that they might be considering for people who are trying to start this work. How can you get the conversation started? It's really a, a very important point. Uh, I don't know how you feel, Nicole. In my case, I feel that every time I engage in starting a conversation, I need to be aware of uh, my position in that conversation. Um, and this means that for many communities, people like Nicole, like you girls, and like I are seen as, as superior. So you need to be careful with that and, and really make sure that people see that you are not superior, you are just different, and that they also 
have a lot to say that they are also experts, that they are your equals. So uh, that really is important. Um, I, I have a beautiful example from uh, Santiago de Chile, where I work at first with communities, then with uh, city officials, and then I wanted to bring them together in, in, in a workshop. And I remember that a, a local uh, leader who was so good at explaining to me why is it that his community was at higher risk from landslides that came from the Andes, from the mountains. Uh, that person was really good at explaining that to me in his community. When I brought him to a meeting with decision makers, he didn't speak, even though I tried to make him speak. And then when I brought him back home, I asked him why, and he told me, well, Patia, I'm with a bunch of technical experts. I, I, I cannot speak in front of them. So we need to understand that our position defines already some power dynamics that can constrain a community's ability to express their voice and their needs. Yeah, yeah, I think I want to expand a little on Patty's point um, about positionality and and think about, you know, I, sometimes you're also seen as as kind of an element of mistrust and there's a lot of skepticism. Um, and I think of course, also discomfort and and um, you have to kind of consider, first of all, the the way that you're beginning your, your the conversation with these communities and the way that you're beginning kind of a, a language between you um, needs to be mutually intelligible and it needs to recognize, um, recognize the position that you're in, recognize um, the power dynamics and listen to you know if the if there's skepticism what is it and how can we talk through that and if there's mistrust what is it and and how can we talk through that um, in a transparent way and in a way that um, builds real trust and not just kind of partial or um, or kind of a relationship that's very short term and only project oriented but one that is oriented toward the needs of these communities not just um, not just completing a project and i think that's part of how you build building the conversation is also building um the values of the project uh and and then another aspect to that is you know what what so what language are we going to use and i think that depends on what the communication um strategies are going to be in this in, or what kind of the communication norm for these communities are maybe it's email maybe social media maybe it's in person maybe it's a lot of different aspects um, of communication methods maybe it's all three um, maybe there are different times of day that you want to be engaging with community members um, to, you know you might have to go to particular locations to talk to them maybe you have to go to the supermarket uh, and and stand outside and and, and have a conversation with someone uh, there are different ways that you build that that um, initial communication method but also the long-term um, strategies and so it really depends on the communities and 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 the um the context i think yeah i i just want to build on what you said nicole uh, and 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 say that you need to meet the communities and your stakeholders where they are you are not supposed to expect them to go and take a look at your website and and read your beautiful papers because that won't happen. 
you need to get out of your way to be in their space. And I, in my experience, uh, particularly uh, governmental decision makers tend to forget that. And whenever I ask them, hey, how do you convey uh, this project? How do you disseminate what you want to do? And they keep telling me, well, it's on my website. Um, we have some documents in the before the website, right, in the library. And no, that doesn't work because when whenever I ask communities, how do you learn from the you know this project? And they always tell me, I, I had no clue that this project existed. You know, and this is because there is this gap, meaning and, and some some powerful people would say, well, communities need to 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 be educated and to get out of their way to to learn from this project, I think that that doesn't work well. In my experience, the best projects, the most successful are those where the promoter of the project got out of his hair or their way to meet the target of their project. And that's also a key lesson for us at Enral. We need to get out of our jargon, our bubble, and go to the bubble of those living, uh, those communities we think will benefit from our tool sets, from our technologies, from our innovations. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a really and I great example. <laughs> yeah, I, we just laugh whenever I, an official says that, right, Nicole? Oh, well, it's on our website. I'm like, know, oh, okay. <laughs> Good news. Uh, I have two bad news for you. First is not even I have read your website. I, I need to read it because I'm doing this project. Second bad news is people don't know about your website. So <laughs> please forget about that as a dissemination tool. <laughs> but but I think it's I think it's important to actually think about different types of dissemination tools, right? Like so someone's gonna yeah. look on the website and it's good to have it on the website, but it doesn't mean people are gonna go to the website to find that information, you know, writ large. So you have to think about, you know, the 85-year-old grandma that really never goes online. How is she gonna get that information? Is she gonna get it from a flyer that's put under her door? Maybe. Um, so I, I think they're different. Um, you have to really adapt your strategies to the various different people that are involved in these projects um, and that are stakeholders in these projects and, and really be open to adapting those strategies and not taking one path, but taking multiple paths. Exactly. And, and that's where, where this idea of being nimble and flexible is getting a lot of traction. Uh, and I tell you, it's liberating when you learn that you are not the super expert in the conversation, that you are just part of a bigger whole. You also feel liberated because you know that, well, there are many ways of doing things and you just need to engage with all these different ways and, and, and make sure you are nimble, right? And flexible and adaptable. And I think that those are ideas that uh, our lab, our uh, organizations will benefit from including, make, making them part of the way they go about doing business. Yeah, I think that's some really great examples of why it's so important to truly understand the communities that you're working in. Uh, 
Patty, Nicole, I wanted to thank you for joining us today and just ask if there are any final tips or thoughts you want to share with people thinking about getting community engagement involved in their projects. I, I, I just want to close with one thing, and I'm sure Nicole with, with another. Yeah. Um, I, in, in my four years at NRAL, I have learned to respect uh, all the knowledge, the capabilities, and the, the potential that this lab uh, brings to bear on our, how to address our challenges. Uh, that said, I think that we will realize this potential if we are able to collaborate with social scientists such as Nicole and, and me and such as you guys who are really good at engaging with stakeholders and with the stakeholders. If we are able to understand that different ways of knowing and of doing are equally important if we really want to be successful and effective in our efforts to transition our energy systems away from where they are and towards where we all need to decide want to be. I mean, nobody has the truth on what is needed and how to address it. We all need to build that truth and that dream together. Yeah, that's um, that's a wonderful close, Patty. I was just going to put in a plug for us and say that um, we're here. <laughs> we social scientists would love to be a part of your projects, a part of um, thinking about how we can structure these projects uh, in ways that really uh, address the, the local needs of different communities. Um, and I think they can become more effective projects and technologies um, and have much larger impacts if they do that. Um, so yeah, we would love to be involved in more projects <laughs> here at the lab. Thanks Patty and Nicole for joining us and sharing the importance of community engagement to ensure projects provide solutions that meet the real needs of people in your community. Stay tuned for future episodes on ethanol and electric school bus resources. That's it for this episode of On The Go. As we wrap up, I want to thank the U.S. Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office and our team here at the National Renewable Energy Lab for their support. Also, a big thanks to Brittany Conrad and Vern Slocum, our podcast editors. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to learn more about Clean Cities and its partnerships to develop affordable, efficient, and clean transportation options to accelerate the development and widespread use of a variety of innovative transportation technologies, visit us at cleancities.energy.gov.